Christmas or Easter? How many people like Christmas more than Easter? A few? Yeah, yeah. That's good. How many people are Easter people? How do you feel on Easter Sunday? Just great, right? You know, Good Friday, we remember the crucifixion. We remember the sacrifice of Jesus. But on Easter Sunday, we remember what? We remember the resurrection. And doesn't Easter Sunday just feel like the Super Bowl? It's like touchdown. Maybe you don't like football. Maybe it's like the Stanley Cup Finals and your team has won. Well, on Easter Sunday, we feel like as believers, we need to feel really, really happy. Right? We, we have this good news in Jesus, the one who died for us, who rose to new life. And this means that we have victory over sin. It means that we have victory over death. It means that we get to spend eternal life in this new kingdom with Jesus. But what happens in those times in life when you feel like you should feel something but you feel nothing at all. What do you do in life when it seems like everybody else around you is really happy, but the truth is on the inside you feel empty? What do you do when it seems like your fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord are living a resurrected life and you feel like you're living in the grave? What do you do when doubts come? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. So our story is a story of the odd man out. This is the story of Thomas. And you just heard Harriet give a great children's message. And so we're going to read these verses. And so if you have a Bible in front of you, I encourage you to open up to John chapter 20. And we're going to be reading verses 24 to 29. So I'll just give you a few moments to, to find it. But first, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that you've given us through the scriptures. Lord, it is evidence that you love us very, very much, that you want to speak to us in the times where it feels like the Super Bowl, in the times where it feels like we're dead inside, Lord, you want to speak to each and every one of us. And you can do that today because of your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we open up our hearts to you now. We open up our minds to you now. And we ask, Lord, that you would speak. Lord, I confess that I'm a human being. And so I ask, Lord, that you would filter through my words. That the words that are from you would stick. And the ones that are just from me would fall away. But Lord, above all, we come to you in these moments expecting that you will show up and you will speak. And so, Lord, we pray, help us to listen. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so John chapter 20, starting at verse 24. It says, Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, 
Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and at last Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Then Thomas said to Jesus, My Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. So Thomas, throughout church history, is somebody who's been given a real hard time. In fact, what is the nickname that the church has had for Thomas the last 2,000 years? Right, Doubting Thomas. And so it's Easter. Jesus has risen from the dead. He's appearing to his disciples. And there are ten disciples there. That means that there's two disciples missing. The first one who's missing is Judas, for obvious reasons, right? Judas has just committed suicide. But there's one other disciple who's not there with the bunch. Thomas is not there. Where was Thomas on Easter? What was he up to? Commentators have asked this question for a number of years. And so we see, and, I, and what's really cool is, you had Gary Baumhoff here last week? I had planned on preaching this sermon, and he actually preached the verses before this sermon. So which means God probably wants us to hear this today. So that's, pretty, that's good news, right? And so in chapter 20, Jesus appears to the disciples. Thomas isn't there. And so what happens? Jesus comes and he breathes on his disciples. He tells them to receive the Holy Spirit. And the disciples are filled with an unspeakable joy. Imagine that. They see Jesus crucified and dead and put in a tomb. And now he's walking around and alive. They are very excited. And they are filled with an unspeakable joy. And so we see in verse 25 in our passage today, what do the disciples do when they see Jesus is alive? They say, we have to tell Thomas. Where's Thomas? And so imagine Thomas's ten closest friends, the people that he's toured around, around all of Israel with for three years and watched Jesus perform all these miracles. His ten closest friends come to him and they say, we have seen the Lord. If your ten closest friends were trying to convince you of something, what do you think the odds are you would believe them? Probably pretty good. If they were your closest friends, you know, if they were your brothers who you, you know, witnessed the resurrection of Lazarus with, you know, your friends that you'd seen all of these healings and all these things that Jesus did with. But Thomas does not believe. And he says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand on his side, I 
will not believe. Why was this so hard for Thomas to believe? It says that the disciples actually spend one whole week trying to convince Thomas that Jesus is alive. So we're going to return to the story, but I want to ask the question, well, who was Thomas? Why was it so hard for Thomas to believe? Well, when we look at Thomas in the book of John, we see two other stories where he's around and he talks. Okay? And we see that Thomas is somebody, have you ever heard that phrase, the glass is half empty, the glass is half full? You ever hear that? Thomas is definitely the glass is half empty kind of guy. He's a bit of a gloomy Gus, you could say. Has anybody seen The Adventures of Winnie the Pooh? So who is, who is Winnie the Pooh's always kind of glum friend? Eeyore. Thomas is, like out of the disciples, Thomas is the Eeyore. You can just imagine him walking around and saying, Oh, bother. Right? right just like Eeyore. But while Thomas is revealed to us as a little bit gloomy, as a bit of an Eeyore, we see in the scriptures that Thomas is very courageous. If you take a look in chapter 11 of John, we see an interesting scene. So Jesus and his disciples are fleeing an area around Jerusalem because people are trying to kill them, which is a good reason to leave somewhere if they're trying to kill you, right? And so they get going on the road, and then they get word that Jesus' friend Lazarus has died. But Lazarus lives in this dangerous area around Jerusalem. And so the disciples and Jesus are trying to figure out if they're going to go back and see Lazarus and his sisters and minister to them. And what's interesting is what the disciples say. The disciples say, in verse 8, no way. We're going to die if we go back. But if you take a look in chapter 11, in verse 16, this is what Thomas says. He says, Thomas says, we're all going to die because he sees the glass half empty. But let's go anyway and die with Jesus. So Thomas is somebody who's very pessimistic, maybe a little negative, but he has courage. He's willing to go back and risk his life to follow his master. So Thomas is a little bit negative, but he's courageous and he's committed to Jesus. In chapter 14, Jesus is talking about his death, how he's going to go away and prepare a place for them. Right? He's talking about in heaven. And Thomas speaks up and says, well, Lord, we don't know the way to where you're talking about. What is the way? And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. Right? So Thomas is somebody who asks good questions. Maybe he gets a little confused You know, he asks questions, he might be slow to come around, but when he comes around, he comes around. Do you know anybody like that? Maybe you married somebody like that. Maybe you're a guy, and there was this girl you liked, and you had to really convince her. But once you convinced her, she was in. Well, maybe Thomas is kind of a little bit like that. So above all, we see that Thomas is a little bit gloomy, he's a bit of an Eeyore, he's a little bit negative... But he's committed, and he's courageous. And so where was Thomas on Easter? 
Why wasn't he with the other ten disciples? Well, commentators have been talking about this, and one good theory is, based upon his character in these other passages, is maybe Thomas was depressed. Have you ever been depressed? Have you ever been paralyzed with fear? Have you ever had a morning where it was difficult to get out of bed? A lot of Canadians deal with depression. A lot of Canadians deal with mental illness, and it's actually not something we talk about much in the church. And it's too bad, because it's real and it's out there, and God wants to be with us in our mental illness. He wants to be with us in our depression. So maybe Thomas, after witnessing the crucifixion of his best friend and his Lord, maybe Thomas had a hard time dealing with that. Maybe Thomas was shut in by himself and he just didn't want to be around other people. Maybe Thomas, when his friends came to him, his ten closest friends, and they're saying, we have seen the Lord. Maybe Thomas wanted to believe, but he just couldn't do it. Maybe he wanted to engage with his heart, but he just could not. Have you ever been in that place before where you wanted to believe God or you wanted to believe on God for something, but it was really, really hard to believe? It was really hard to have faith? You know, we're all shaped by different experiences and things that have happened to us. It's possible that you grew up and your mother and father we're not as nurturing and supportive as they should have been. Many people grow up in very difficult situations and have difficult relationships with their mother or father or their sister and brother. And so when they approach life and when they approach God, it's hard, it's hard to relate well to any sort of authority figure. It's hard to trust any sort of authority figure because you've been let down so many times. Maybe you had a friend and they had cancer or some disease, and you prayed. I mean, like you prayed so much that there was, there was knee marks in the carpet for your friend to be healed. And you believed they would be healed. And then they died. And so when you pray now, you pray and you go, God, I don't know if I trust you. Because I believed so hard for this thing and it didn't come through. Maybe you had a dream Something that you believe God was calling you to for your life. And you put all your ducks in a row and you worked really, really hard. And when you finally got there, it's like the rug was pulled out beneath your feet. And so it's hard for you to trust. Because you're worried you're going to be let down. We don't know what happened to Thomas. But I know what happened to me. You know what happened to you. Sometimes it's hard to trust God. I want to return the story, but I want to tell you a little bit about a book I read about a year ago. And I have a picture for this. It's, it's a book called Silence. And it was written in 1966 by a man named Shusaku Endo. And Endo was a Japanese Catholic at a time when it was like 1% or less of Japan was Christian. Okay, so he was persecuted heavily for his beliefs in Jesus. 
But he also lived with chronic illness his whole life, chronic pain his whole life. And so he was a man who knew pain and rejection. And in his life as a writer, he had this opportunity to move to Europe to study. And he thought, oh great, when I move to Europe, I'll meet more Christians. And I'll find family and acceptance. And so Shushaku, I can hardly say his name, Endo, moved from Japan to Europe, hoping to find family. But when he moved to Europe, it was after World War II. And so he was Japanese. And so he actually found a lot of racism, and he wasn't accepted. And so he was a man who was rejected his whole life. And he writes this book, Silence. And it's about these two Portuguese missionaries that go to Japan in the 17th century. And they're all excited to go on their mission. They have their training. They travel across the world, which did not take 24 hours on plane, but took months to get to Japan, lots of sickness on the way there. They finally get to Japan. They're all excited to share their faith, and they find nothing but relentless persecution, nothing but rejection. Christians are being killed and strung up all over the place, being drowned, and it's a shock for them, for these missionaries. It's based on true events that happened in Japan. And what's interesting about this book is it's all about doubt. It's all about where is God in the middle of suffering. My four-year-old Lydia asked me the other day, if God loves us, why did he create mosquitoes? (laughs) I'm like, you are already asking this question. Right? The problem of evil. Why does this exist? Why does God allow us to go through suffering? It's something that we, we all face. I don't care how strong your faith is. At some point, we all ask hard questions. And so throughout this book, these two Portuguese missionaries, you can hear their thoughts in the book, and they're asking questions like this. Where is God when these people are dying? Where is God in the middle of the silence. And I don't want to give away the ending of the book, but it's mysterious and confusing and controversial and weird and brilliant. And so I encourage you to either watch the movie um, written by or directed by Martin Scorsese or to read the book. But at the end, I'll tell you this, they come to this realization that God was with them and God suffered alongside of them. Do you see the scandal of John chapter 20? Thomas won't believe unless Jesus shows him himself. And we see in John chapter 20 that Jesus has incredible grace for Thomas. And for the love of Thomas, Jesus reaches out to him, shows him the holes in his hand, shows him his side, and encourages him to reach out and see When you think about this, this was a ridiculous thing for Thomas to ask. Thomas had been with Jesus for years and had seen the miracles and knew who Jesus was. He had his ten closest friends tell him, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas still didn't believe. And so Jesus never actually excuses Thomas' doubt. But he reaches him in the middle of his doubt. He reaches out to him and loves him anyway. 
God meets him at his point of need and reaches out to him. He stretches out his hands. And in John chapter 20, verse 28, Thomas says, you are my Lord and you are my God. And this is the highest profession of faith in all of the Gospels. So Thomas goes from extreme doubt to a very bold profession of faith where he ascribes deity to Jesus. Can you imagine the, the tenderness in Jesus' eyes looking at this broken man, this doubting man? Can you see the scandal of this? A man who doesn't deserve the evidence. A man who just will not believe. And yet in Jesus' beauty and his tenderness, he reaches out to him anyway. I just want to share with you a little bit of a, a story from my own life where God has really shown his grace. And so my, this has to do with my father. My, my, my father, I don't even know what you call this. He, he worked for a company in Edmonton when he was a young man, when I was just a baby. Maybe I wasn't even born yet. It was a company where they drive in the middle of the night these trucks and they suck grease out of grease traps behind restaurants. You ever seen one of those trucks before? That's what my dad did in the middle of the night with his best friend. He'd suck grease out of dumpsters. And it was not a very glamorous job. And, but he really, really loved working there because the boss was a man named Jerry. And Jerry named the company Schooner Express because he was from Nova Scotia and he loved racing boats. And so my dad worked at this company for a couple years, sucking grease out of dumpsters, and he built a really good relationship with this man who mentored him and loved him. Okay, so what, what happened was my father, uh, he left the company, and the guy Jerry gave him a picture, and I, and I have a picture of this, of the blue nose. And I was actually going to bring the, the actual picture, but anyway, brought him this, this picture of the blue nose. And because he's from Nova Scotia, the blue nose, of course, is on the 10 cent, on the, on the dime, the Canadian dime. And so I remember as a little kid, this picture of the blue nose was hanging in our house for all of these years, okay? And my dad loved it. But then one day, my dad got a phone call and found out that Jerry had passed away. And he was very grieved. And so my dad went to Jerry's funeral, and he brought the picture of the blue nose. And he gave it to Jerry's widow and said, your husband had a big impact on my life and gave him back that picture. And what I remember was my dad was sad to give up that picture, but he felt led to give up that picture. So a few years ago, in 2015, my father got a diagnosis of terminal cancer. So he had cancer in, in the bile ducts and it spread to his liver. And my dad was not a believer <laughs> at all. Um, Romans 1 talks about suppressing the truth about God. That's what he did for years. But we found out he was going to die right away, and all of a sudden, he was very open to faith in Jesus. Amen? <laughs> Have you seen that happen before? And so I baptized my father. He came to faith, but three months from diagnosis to death. It's a very short amount of time. And so that was really, really hard on me. My dad died at the age of 51, my wife was pregnant with our second child. And man, did I ever have some conversations with God. I remember it was Christmas. Some of you, your favorite holiday is Christmas, right? And so I'm, I'm doing the, the Christmas Eve service at Bethel in Edmonton. 
And I feel like I have to be filled with joy, right? Like, Jesus is born, this is good news. I got this big fake smile on, right? Because I, I want to celebrate Christmas with the congregation. Because Christmas, you're supposed to be happy at Christmas. But on the inside, I'm dying. Has anybody lose a loved one and been sad on the holidays before? The holidays have this way of amplifying your grief. Because you think, oh man, he should be sitting in that chair, right, at, at turkey dinner or... We should be opening presents on the carpet together and he should be there. And so it's Christmas Eve, 2015. Yeah, he's just passed away. And I have a conversation with God like this. I said, God, this really stinks. I do not see how taking my dad at age 51 is good. I do not see how this should be part of your plan. And I'm struggling with this. And I said, God... I'm not going anywhere. I love you, and you're all I got, and so I'm not losing faith in you, but it feels like you don't notice me, and it feels like you don't care. And so I'm just very honest with God. Anyway, so I'm I'm doing my fake smiles at the Christmas service, and this man walks up to me, and he's somebody from the community who comes to church maybe four times a year, right? And... He has a a wrapped gift. I'm like, okay, that's weird. So he walks up to me with this wrapped gift, and he says, Pastor Ryan, Merry Christmas! And he's all filled with joy. I'm like, oh, thank you, thank you. And I'm thinking, why did you buy me a gift? I didn't even buy you a box of chocolates. Right? So I grab this gift, but I have, at that point, yeah, well, I don't know how many kids do we have, whatever. We had to get in the van because... Christmas is three days of presents and crazy, right? If you're young parents here, you know what that's like, schlepping your kids around from house to house for all these meals and you're super tired. So I have to get out of church like now. The candlelight's done. And so to be honest, I took that gift and I just chucked it in my office. I didn't even open it. And so I go, I do Christmas. It's really sad. God and I are having this honest conversation. It feels like the Psalms. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is really hard, but I love you, but this is hard. And so I get back from Christmas holidays, and I go into my office, and I see this gift. And I open it up, and it's a picture of the blue nose. And I just start to sob, thinking about my dad. And so I phone him up, and I say, hey, how did you know about the blue nose? How did you know that my dad always loved this picture? And how did you get it? And he says, I don't know anything about that. He says, I was in Value Village one day, and I was walking past the pictures in the back. And there was a picture of the blue nose. And I thought I heard God say in my mind, buy that for Ryan Beatty. But then he kept walking because <laughs> he went, that's very specific, Lord. That must not be you. <laughs> but then he goes to the till and he hears, buy that for Ryan Beatty. And so in obedience to God's voice, he goes and buys this random picture for five bucks from Value Village and he gives it to me. Right when I'm crying out, God, do you care? God, do you love me? Do you notice me? Do I deserve an explanation from God about my dad? 
No, I'm a sinner. God is holy and righteous, and he holds all of time and space and history in his hands. God can take us right now if he wants, and that's his business. I'm a sinner, and I've seen God's faithfulness in my life. God doesn't have to prove himself to me, but he loves us, and he loved me in that moment. And so he showed me his hands. He showed me his side. And I'm sure in this congregation there's many stories like that. You know, you hear these stories of people who, you know, they're spending every last dime on the kingdom of God and they don't have money for groceries and the next day, ding dong, there's groceries. There's all kinds of stories like that. At the end of the book Silence, the the missionaries are standing before Jesus And they say, Lord, where were you in the middle of the silence? And Jesus looks them in the eye and says, I was not silent. I was right there next to you, and I was suffering alongside of you. You see, those times where God feels the most distant, when you don't feel the warm tinglys, when it feels very dark, those are the moments where God is right there. He is beside you. He is your father. He is your loving friend. The paraclete. That means, that means the one who comes alongside, the Holy Spirit, who is with you in those moments. John 6.44 says, Nobody comes to me, this is Jesus speaking, unless the Father first draws them. So the question is, where are you at today? You might be in that place, that kind of after Easter glow, where you have so much faith, and you feel like anything is possible, and if you're in that place today with God, full of faith, awesome. But did you know that your faith is a gift? That the only way we can come to Jesus is if the Father first draws us. So if you're in a place today full of faith, your response to this word is to thank God and say thank you for filling me with faith. Thank you for drawing me by your spirit. Thank you for showing me your love in a tangible way. But it's also possible today and your heart is not filled with gratitude and you're struggling And you want to believe in God. You want to believe that he loves you, but you just can't do it. You know, James says, if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. The beautiful thing is, is he's a loving father. And so we can be completely honest with God. Sometimes our prayers are very unpolished. Sometimes we think they might even be offensive. And God says, give me your honesty. Don't be polished. Thomas said, unless I see his hands, unless I see his side, I won't believe. I said, God, I I love you. I'm not going anywhere, but man, I just want to know you care. We can pray those kind of prayers, and God will speak in a different way to each of us, but he will speak. Mark 9.24 says, one of the prayers is, I do believe, but help me to overcome my unbelief. 
When God is silent, when it feels like he's silent, he is right there. Jesus is tender and beautiful and gracious. And even though we don't deserve it, he reaches out to us. He died on the cross, even though we were sinners, even though we deserve hell. He died on the cross so that we could have life and so we can come to him as we are and find grace and truth and purpose. So wherever you're at today, may you, like Thomas, be able to say in your heart as a gift from God, you are my Lord and you are my God to Jesus. Let's pray together. God, you are unbelievably gracious. Yes, Lord, while we were still sinners, you sent Jesus who died for us and who rose again. And Lord, even though you've done so many miracles and things in our lives, Lord, at times we struggle. We struggle with questions. We struggle with doubt. We live in a broken world. But thank you, God, that you are faithful to forgive our sins, that you reached out to us even in our sinfulness. Thank you that your spirit is relentless and constantly calling us home and constantly calling us to yourself. So Lord, for those here today who are struggling with doubt, I pray, Lord, meet them, speak to them, give them the strength they need in that season. Lord, give them courage to be able to say, you are my Lord and you are my God and I don't have it all figured out, but I'm going to walk with you. And Lord, for those here today who are full of faith, God, we say thank you. Thank you for that gift of faith. And Lord, we confess that it's not our own, (laughs) that even faith put in Jesus is a gift, that nobody comes to Jesus unless the Father first draws them. So Lord, we thank you. God, thank you for this wonderful congregation. Lord, thank you for the next chapter in its life as it calls a new pastor. Lord, I pray that you would set this church on fire by your Holy Spirit, that it might reach into the community and share faith and find the Thomases who need friends to come alongside and say, we have seen the Lord. God, we love you and give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.